Welcome back to We Want More, the Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality Analysis Podcast. I'm Stephen Zuber. Hi, everybody. I'm Brian Deacon. Is that the uh, Nick? That's Dr. Doc- Nick. I had Dr. Doc- uh, Nick. I had an old lab coat that I got from somewhere, and like eight or nine or ten years ago, I was Dr. Nick for like a Halloween party because I also had some fake blood, so I just poured it all over the lab coat, and that was my super lazy costume. See, you know, and the great thing about The Simpsons is I haven't watched The Simpsons since before you hit puberty but the dr nick reference is still solid it'll always be solid <laughs> is that right yeah yeah probably yeah like 2000 ish it's probably the last I time i was watching it on the regular i couldn't think of a that'll always be solid segue into the episode but we'll just dive right in well first off before i guess we dive in how'd you feel about not getting any awesome answers for these three chapters i that's i guess you knew that that was what was going to happen. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm not like cheesed off about it, but uh, yeah, I was thinking about that. I guess this is just like a weird, there isn't, wasn't a good way to break these chapters up because we couldn't have done one more chapter because the next chapter is about as long as everything we're covering this week. But yeah, so it was cool, but like fucking like nothing changes. Like there's, this is almost like a bottle episode. Like, <laughs> like the end of the, we know nothing more than we did three chapters ago. Isn't this great? I know. It was it was cool though, but yeah, but it's like mm, nothing happened. I know nothing more. I mean, I guess uh, yeah, we don't get a lot of new information. I mean, in the book's defense, I think it knew this. Chapter one hundred eight, I think, like leads up saying there'll you know this will be uh, like if you have questions, I'll answer them. So yeah, yeah and his notes sound like this. I wasn't paying too much attention to the dates, but like these came out fairly rapid fire, didn't they? Yeah, one day apart each. Then if, the 108 was only a day and a half or two days before. So like yeah. that was the cool thing. So uh, in January, at the end of January was when 103 came out. That's one where Professor Quirrell's sick. And uh, – or no, that, I think that might be the um, the ministry final. Uh, was, was that the – yeah, tests. And so uh, after that like episode – or chapter dropped, the author said, all right, I've got the last arc written. I'm going to start rolling these out. And then after that, they came out within, I think we got 15, 17 chapters in a month and that wrapped up the whole book. So it was, yeah, I do get the feel like it feels like the way things are going, like Yudkowsky sort of made a decision like, okay, we're going to finish this fucking thing now. Yeah. And it was awesome. He's on task. Well, I think he had it like basically all drafted before that. So it was, uh, it was a good time, man. Uh, first quarter of March or whatever, 20, 2015, exciting time. That's when I joined Reddit <laughs> to follow this, uh, all the, all the stuff online. It was great. Nice. Okay. Well, um, we dive right in here and it starts with, uh, Harry trying not to freak out and professor Quirrell's pointing a gun at him. And for <laughs> some reason, Lord Voldemort, Lord Voldemort hadn't fired it yet. And I love this. What is it you want from me? Your Death yep. is clearly not what I'm about it's to say. Not. <laughs> There's something very sort of like Dick Tracy about like the visual of Quirrell holding a gun. It just seemed because it's so like out of place. Like I could sort of like picture him like not really knowing the right way to hold it or something. Maybe he does the silly like gangster sideways thing, but awkwardly. I, I you know, I'm assuming he, he's practiced with how to use a gun. I'm sure he's like, yeah. I mean, if he knows muggle martial arts, he knows how to fire a muggle weapon. Yeah. It's just something that would give off sort of the vibe of like somebody holding a gun who did not grow up watching TV shows of people holding guns. <laughs> like it's this sort of like alien thing in his hand. Yeah. And, you know, it's also fun too, because, you know, they can't cast 
magic on each other, or at least their magic can't interact. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, hey, how do I hit this kid without shooting magic at him? Oh, I'll just, you know, hit him with a small piece of lead going, what, the speed of sound? How fast do bullets go? Uh, Not quite that fast. uh, Some faster, mostly not. Apparently that's a thing. Not a handgun anyway. That's a thing snipers pay attention to apparently. Right. Um, Yeah, that and that hadn't occurred to me till later because I – I guess I just hadn't thought about it much, but cause it just seemed like this sort of like cool and weirdly out of place thing. But yeah, the whole thing about the, Oh, cause he can't like cast a magic spell on him. He needs something like that. Then that did make me think though, like the whole, so yeah, he can't cast a spell directly at Harry or whatever, but like, like if we're going to totally get plot lawyer on all this, he could totally like cast an anvil 10 feet over his head. And there's gotta be a bajillion variations on, you know, anvil over your head variations that are a lot more, uh, easily accomplished so it seems like a solvable problem for a mind like quarrels well like uh he's got the the gun is a totally totally excellent solution to it so there you go the gun works like he's got the he's got voldemort's wand transfigured as a tooth in his mouth which is clever as shit that was another one of those things you're like oh i hadn't thought about that like half the other teeth in his mouth could be anvils that he could just throw over harry and then (laughs) deconvert right exactly um Anyway, so yeah, I guess we're we do learn something fun in this chapter. Um, oh, whoops, whoopsie! All right, let's start us back in here. You were saying something about how um, there's all kinds of shenanigans involved with teeth or something. So I'm going to add us back in here, right? Yeah. Uh, what's shenanigans about teeth? Well, yeah. So, uh, and that was another thing I hadn't thought about. That like, oh yeah, so he must have his wand, his Voldemorty wand. I think I called it now his Volda wand. Uh, is got to be way better for him than whatever, like, you know, half-ass coral wand he's been getting by with. But yeah, you couldn't, he couldn't, A, he definitely couldn't be using it, but there's probably some sort of like wardsy nonsense that would like set off a, an alarm if Voldemort's wand showed up. So he's been having to hide the thing. So, hmm. That could be, but then yeah. you'd think he'd be worried about the wards going off, whipping it out now. Uh, it sounds like now he's just like, okay, fuck it, the jig's up. Like, like he knows where, like, this is the this is the part of the Quentin Tarantino movie where everybody's got a gun pointed at each other. So, <laughs> like, you know, sh- shit's about to get real. Like, what going to be what a bloodbath. Right. Yeah, I like that uh, we do get in a little bit that Coral sort of like intuited that, okay, based on the way Harry reacted when he showed up because he's time turnered. Like he said, okay, shit has not been exploding based on the way Harry's been acting. So I know I've got like at least an hour or two before anybody notices anything. I think he's got five hours. Is it that? Yeah, because he he had to. I use- couldn't quite follow. Like, is he able? So, I mean, yeah, that's how much Harry went back. But so I, I guess so. He was just sort of assuming based on the way Harry showed up. Like, okay, this is a person acting in a way that they have not seen the world on fire in the last five hours, right? Since whatever. Okay, yeah, and I guess I guess I hadn't been paying attention to like how much of a time span that accounted for when Harry showed up. I'm not sure if Quirrell knows exactly how many hours it's been because I think Harry was at the game till something past ten o'clock. And he was supposed to meet here at the hallway at 6.49. Oh, yeah, and he doesn't uh, necessarily know when Harry jumped back. Well, but he, I think he would know roughly when he got the note, I'm assuming. But yes, then we, we know that it's been five hours because Harry said something about how he only has one turn left on his time. Yeah, but there was quite a bit of time between when he got the note and when when he jumped back, wasn't there? Or he went back extra early to pick up Lasoth or something. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There was that whole thing. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, yeah that's, that's right. Because I was thinking about that whole like Quentin Tarantino thing. That was the scene last chapter was everybody standing around in front of the door, like pointing wands at each other and shit. Oh yeah, it's Quentin Tarantino scene. And then it did have the the explosive, everyone shooting everybody kind of mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, it was awesome. Solid, solid. <clears throat> it did totally set off the like. Okay, we are now definitely in the Act Five. Like this is the car chase part of the movie. Like shit, <laughs> shit's blowing up. People are pointing guns at each other. Like we're in that part of the story now, kids. Yes, there we are in the end game, as they say. So we're ju- uh, we didn't actually. So we jumped ahead. We haven't actually gotten to the part yet where um, where we where he pulls out a tooth and turns it into a. <laughs> no, I think that's either the next chapter. It was just yeah, actually, yeah. We haven't even gotten into it yet. Yeah. So this is just <clears throat> we talk. It's uh, basically why are you calling me Tom? Because he keeps calling him that. Yeah. And he says, why am I calling you Tom? Answer, your intellect is not everything I had hoped for, but it should suffice for this. Which is kind of a a telling statement there. Uh, Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, it's funny. Like the whole, um, like, so it's not like this is any sort of new side to Quirrell that we've seen, but like like the mask has been torn off and he's gone completely like psychopath, you know, complete evil lacking empathy non-human being um so like the you know the sadist and the mustache twirling is in full force uh, yeah along with the condescension to harry yeah it's kind of a bummer because you know like for those of us who liked quarrel uh you know it sucks to see him go full like again mustache twirling so that that has been sort of besides the like oh damn it we didn't get a like we didn't get to find out enough in these few chapters. The big sort of like my, my reflecting on the story thus far thought I had was like how we now get to see Quirrell and how it like, it totally fit. Like this is the sort of Quirrell that you've been expecting. Uh, and he shows up and yes, he's, he totally is that. Well, like what stuck out for me is how like how fucked up it is for you fuckers to have been like roped in by him. So I totally like understand that whole like enticing, like he's, you know, the hyper, the competence porn thing. Like I get the, you can totally see the attraction to it and how like cool it feels. And just like that, just that feeling of like, Oh, I always have my shit together and nothing is beyond my power. Like, so the, the appeal of that is like, I totally understand. But the, like the fact like the level to which the number of people like fell for it and can not so much like, not that you fell for it, but not you, but um, continue to defend it. Like after having seen the story, I haven't, you know, seen the entire story now, but like up to this point, one should have walked away with this, with the understanding that like, Oh wait, no, this dude is completely evil and lacking in any kind of, you know, redeeming qualities at all. And the amount that people would sort of like would, but to be fair about his about his actions to be fair. Yeah. Like sort of like basically like trying to come to like, come to his defense. Like, like all you fuckers are just battered wives. Um, well, so he's so like lacking in any redeeming quality except the appearance of awesomeness, but without any of the causation of awesomeness. None of the reasons why one would be awesome except for the supposition and demonstration of the awesomeness. And that like that part was so appealing that then people just sort of like backed into trying to start to justify it just because it was so awesome. You just wanted like, oh, he's not totally, he's not so bad. He's just a little stabby. Yeah. So what I was doing was I wanted to like play this as the person reading it. Like I didn't want to go into it with the, um, with the Stephen knowledge, with this, with the knowledge of Stephen who had already read this. So Mm. like 
I wanted to play along with you. Like it was, you know, obviously I'd read it, so I had all the spoiler knowledge, mm-hmm. but I, did, I wanted to go through it as it was during my first read through of the book. Yeah. Um, well, well, yeah. And, and actually, I'm like, I'm not mostly thinking of you at all, but no, it's back when I was subjecting myself to the weekly rebuttal of the podcast. Um, the amount that it was like, like hearing, I mean, basically like people just like, basically like justifying like a, but like both like his behavior and Harry's sort of like fawning over the behavior, like now sort of seeing it now more in kind of its full array of, you know, being able to see it beginning to end. Um, so like totally getting the, the appeal of it, but like at the end of it, you're supposed to see the like oh this is just fucked up and and kind of the hollowness of it i think that's the biggest part like we're sort of now it's sort of we get to see it from end to end like the hollowness of quarrel's awesomeness is now more plain to us we don't the possibility that there's some substance to it behind it is starting to be you know further negated like no it really is nothing but appearance is kind of wrong because yes he is that powerful and that competent and whatever but that there is going to be no backstory to it there is isn't going to be a you know and i did these you know hard things and earned my way up to this level of power it's like no he's just sort of arbitrarily powerful for no good reason he's hyper competent in a completely hand wavy kind of just you know quarrel ex machina kind of he just is awesome for no good reason. Like it's complete uh, appearance without substance, um, you know, hitting all the points that, that are appealing to anybody, but very, very clearly not having any actual, you know, commitment to like getting there behind it. So it's like, it's, it's all, it's all sugar, no protein. Well, I, um, I don't know about that. Like, I mean, it's like, I, I like the, the he's still hard work to get this strong, right? Like, and to get this this powerful, this competent, whatever it is, like all that was still hard work. the The main bummer is that, like, he's just yeah, an asshole. We're, we're going to see that. I don't get the impression that somewhere in these last ten, like these last dozen chapters, we're going to you know suddenly get to watch the you know Rocky Balboa montage of Quirrell working really hard to become the most powerful wizard on the planet. Like he just well, sort no, but of you is. Know that it doesn't just, we, well, I don't think that you just get there. Like the the, the world is set up that uh, you know you, you don't get to just come out on top. Now he did get an obvious huge leg ahead by getting Salazar's interdicted knowledge, um, but like you know I, I you know I imagine he's still trained at a Muggle dojo. For me, the hard the 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 hard like bummer part isn't that he's turns out to actually just be this charlatan. It, it's like you know he's still Bruce Lee, but instead of Bruce Lee being this you know kind of badass who brought, you know, Chinese culture to America and, and was actually a nice, cool figure. Instead, he uses his awesome martial arts prowess just to beat up orphans, right? Yeah. Well, and also, but uh, like, there's no, there's nothing about him as a person that got him to that. Like, it's not, oh, like I made these like life choices or whatever. There's no quality about him as a person that, that his, you know, power and competence is the result of these admirable qualities of him. It's just, it's, he's just put here and given, we just give him, you know, 18 charisma, 18 intelligence. Um, but you know, no reason that he got there and no, nothing to admire about that. He just sort of is. So he's like everything one would want to be perceived as, but nothing that one would want to emulate. Did you see uh BBC Sherlock? 
the uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, the, the, Eng- the Engelbert Humperdinck. That's the one. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I really like that. Yeah, Bumblebee Cumbersnatch. High, yeah, <laughs> is a the high functioning sociopath. Right. So everyone who hasn't seen at least through season two, do watch that and skip the next thirty seconds. It's really good. It's really good. All right. So skip thirty seconds. So at the end of season two, when Moriarty sets him up and like convinces the media, convinces a lot of people that Sherlock had faked all of his cases, mm-hmm. that you know, he, instead of being this actually competent badass genius, he, he was just this total fraud. Um, that's kind of what it feels like here, except for like, uh, you know, so like anything that you liked about Sherlock, you know, you don't want to be like him because he doesn't have friends, he doesn't have uh, you know healthy relationships or whatever, but you still want to emulate the the badassness this you know that that whole thing that uh, at the end of season two kind of rips that out from under him and that's almost like what's happening here except yeah. so like with Sherlock instead of Quirrell here being like a charlatan it's just he's just a complete asshole yeah right? and with Sherlock you at least so like at least my take of the Sherlock thing was he was a person that wanted to be good and was terrible at it um but like but like but his motives were nice like but the and so the, and that's what feels different about about quarrel is like he has no he is aware of how you know selfish and evil he is and does not give a fuck um that was the great line that sherlock gives in that episode was uh i may be on the side of the angels but don't for one second mistake me for one of them or something like that it was yeah, badass like that. yeah um but yeah you at least get the impression like it's not like it's not a coincidence that he's trying to do good. Like he's, he maybe he has a terrible grasp on what all of that means, but he's like made a conscious decision to do good things. Um, whereas like, Coral's almost, like the, almost opposite. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, but yeah, that's like with, with like Quirrell, like everything sort of like powerful and appealing and awesome about Quirrell is completely lacking in any substance behind it to make you admire why he did it. It's purely just, and also, and I think like very much on purpose, like we're given no, so yeah, maybe theoretically he worked real hard to blah, 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 but we're not shown any of that. We never, we never see a character choosing to do hard work or choosing to do a good thing or, you know, choosing to make some sort of sacrifice. It's just sort of like put out as a given that he is the most powerful wizard anywhere, except maybe for Dumbledore. Um, And, and we're given no reason for it. It's just kind of an, it is that way, um, which like totally works for me. Like that's like, so he is the temptation. He's all the things that seem appealing and none of the things you would want to be in order to get there. Um, and so like, he is like, he's that, he's that temptation of like, Oh, this is this weird fucked up unrealistic ideal that all us nerds would like, we'd all really like to be that awesome. Um, and you can have a story about like, oh, somebody who was that awesome. That's kind of almost, that is not almost, that's pretty much what Harry, like we're getting to see Harry become that awesome, but for all the right reasons. Um, but Quirrell is just sort of not, falsely, like apparently he really is, but like hollowly all those things without having, without being the kind of person you would want to be to, in order to get there. Um, and I think that's sort of the thing, like this is, so he's sort of there as like, the way for Harry to look at like, okay, he's this very, um, you know, a quarrel is the chocolate cake of, you know, what we would all want to be along with the idea of chocolate. Like, and it's not good for you. And Harry's sort of learning like, Oh, I've actually got to do the harder stuff in order to become more like that rather than just sort of like 
you know, just being awesome. Um, yeah. And the other thing too, is that like, you know, Harry, I think the, the difference that makes all the difference is that like Harry wants to, you know, be as powerful and cool, whatever, as professor Quirrell, but he doesn't want to sacrifice, you know, uh, his goodness. He, he wants to have friends. He wants to, to be a, a well-rounded person. And like, you know, we know Quirrell, at least as far as maybe he was lying, but he had never given a Christmas present before. And if he's Voldemort, he's in his sixties. And so it's like, so your life has sucked. Like, yeah. you know, it's been a bummer to be you. Um, you know, so it's kind of like, you know, I, I mean, at least I, I, I won't speak for everybody, but I'm pretty sure like I, I would rather be 90% quarrel and rather than hundred percent, if I got to have all the rest of what makes a good life involved, I'd rather be 50% quarrel and have what, what, you know, the, the rest of the ingredients of a good life. Yeah. It's well, and, yeah. And I think like the takeaway is more like, like, okay, don't be quarrel for the sake of being awesome. Like quarrel. It's like, Oh, all of that power and whatever, like for Harry, what that turns back to is, I can save my friend Hermione, like in the just very immediate, important terms. And then how Harry sort of generalizes that to like, I can end death. Like there is a greater purpose to achieving that power other than just, you know, fearfully preserving my own existence or, you know, going for the greater glory of me. Like Harry ties it back to things that are good. Um, whereas with Quirrell, and, and actually, like for me, we haven't seen anything from Quirrell about his motivations for this other than stuff that would be very obvious about just like, you know, a, you know, a narcissist sociopath wants to live forever. Well, of course he would. Like, um, it seems like that's the only motivation that then that totally works as being the entirety of the motivation for Quirrell. Um, but whereas like Harry, if wanting to pursue the sort of the same levels of powers, he can quote, optimize the universe. Um, they're they are for better reasons, not better. They're for good reasons. Um, yeah, I totally hear you. Yeah, and we get to sort of like latch onto in the short term, like the lead into those larger regions in the short term for Harry is I need to save my best friend, which um, that's kind of what he's been like hyper focused on. I mean, now that you put a point on it, that's kind of the exact opposite of Voldemort's interest of I want to live forever, right? Yeah. Yeah. Harry's not trying to yet. Yeah. Harry would like to get that same power, not at all for himself. Well, probably and for himself, but yeah. like right but now, my primary motivation to. is I want to rescue my best friend, which is a completely mm -hmm. alien thought to Voldemort, right? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Where were we? We're still we've, in we've advanced no plot. We, we haven't even walked through the door yet. No, that's good because I actually had that conversation last time and, and it kind of slipped because we did this uh, like, I don't know, 10 hours before it was supposed to be up on the air. So yeah. um, I wanted I didn't get around to all the stuff I wanted to talk about. But here now we found time and there isn't a lot of content in these chapters to cover anyway. So we got to we gotta fill it up with all this stuff. So um, basically he <laughs> um, he very smartly points the gun at Harry and says, you know, drop your drop your wand, step away yeah. from the wand take your time turner off touching the chain only then place it on the ground and step away from that. Like he's not I kept sort of like, I kept picturing him like having like Harry kept having to step further and further away from separate things. It was like, okay, drop that and step away. All right. Yeah. Drop that and step away. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to leave it near your foot for you to whatever kick over the time turner. I'm not, you know, you have to be wearing it, but whatever, you know, he's like, I'm not taking any chances. Um, and sorry for that banging. My neighbors are doing something in, involving, I don't know, smashing nails on stuff before they throw up the dumpster. I tried to mute it onto like, the recording. Oh, I can hear it anyway. Um, yeah. Anyway. Uh, see, if you hadn't mentioned it, you wouldn't have bought yourself an edit. But No, that's staying in. Uh, these people can't hear it. So, um, it's the sausage, and, folks. So here's the uh, 
you know, just quarrel again, dropping like the facade of any politeness. He's yeah. saying, all right, so here I'm going to, here's what, what I plan to do. I'm going to kill Snape for his betrayals to that. He authored to my other identity. Um, I'm going to take these, these four first year nobles and uh, obliviate them. So I can, uh, you know, it, they'll be, they'll be hand handy going forward for my future plans. Yeah. And, and also I've got this, you know, dope ass plan. I've got a dead man switch with that'll kill hundreds of Hogwarts students, incl- including many of your friends. Um, Which he also like, and I'm going to provide you no details at all as to what that means, but I will tell you in parcel tongue that I'm not lying. So yes, hundreds of people are going to die, but no, you don't get to have any idea how. Right. So, yeah. See, and I'm not fussy because so that's, in these couple chapters, the idea of you cannot lie in parcel tongue is qu- quite important. But when, and that was already in the back of my head, when did that get established? Was that like from the very beginning in like Mary's room? No, just now. Uh, Only just now? Yeah, this is the first time we've been told that you can't lie in parcel tongue. So, but they already, now, I mean, because that whole like, like, like two plus two is three thing wasn't brand new, was it? Yeah, that was him trying was to test, okay. test the idea. So now on your second reread, you get to read everything he says in parcel tongue and realize mm-hmm. that it's direct truth. Yeah, I guess, and what also was running through my head in these few chapters is this is definitely, you know, lawyer land of, yes, true, but only in the very, very literal sense. I'm allowed to lie to you as long as it's literally true, but not misleading or misleading, but still literally true. You know, I'm not sure, like, how what what the flexibility is there assuming that quarrel's right about the parcel mouth curse that apparently salazar inflicted on himself and all his heirs that they're supposed to be able to communicate with each other without you know any lies it would seem like you can't do the whole you know whatever eyes to die playing with truth bullshit like you, you're you have to be honest um that said like, like you don't have to be fully honest. Sure, like we're totally gonna play the like yeah no anything that is let's technically true is totally going to qualify. So, yeah. I suppose we'll see about Cause that. it's not, uh, it's not, Oh, you're not allowed to be misleading in parcel tongue. It's you're not allowed to lie in parcel tongue. Yeah. Well, I mean, so like one of the fun things that um, like I, I, I should have put a pin in all of them just so we could go back through. But one of the ones that jumps out was he tells Harry that he didn't want to kill the or in parcel tongue. He says, I didn't seek to kill him. If I wanted to, he'd been dead within seconds. So apparently he was just casting the killing curse at him for whatever other stupid fucking reason. Uh, yeah, I guess that's he, wasn't, true. he wasn't trying to kill him with it because um, that would have been monumentally stupid. Uh, so it's just interesting to, I, I mean, there's a handful of others. Um, I'm trying to remember, like he switches uh, yeah, back and forth from being a- it was Because I never bought the whole, I didn't buy the line about like, oh, I knew he would dodge. Uh, but I wonder if he said that right. in parcel tongue. I'm not sure. He did. He, yeah. he said that. I knew he would dodge. I knew he would dodge. Yeah. Then he's like, well, what if he didn't? And he's like, well, then I'd push him out of the way with my own magic. Apparently that was the plan. Um, that whole conversation was in parcel tongue. Yeah. Interesting. Because it was all in front of uh, Bellatrix. Hmm. Oh, so in the end. So and I guess up to this point, the whole parcel tongue was merely a way to make sure nobody else could understand what they were saying. I also like this. Have you listened to any of the, the audiobook where it does partial tongue? Uh, no, I haven't. Is that, oh, that'd be interesting. It's kind of fun. He, so he does, he carries out the S's and stuff like it's written, but he also plays this undercurrent of snake noises. <laughs> I don't know where he found the noise, but like, I mean, it just sounds like kind of hit this undercurrent of hissing. Uh, anyway, so he tells them in partial tongue, he says, 
Come with me, promise your best aid in getting the stone, and I'll leave these children behind unharmed. Hostages are real. Hundreds of students die tonight unless I stop events already set in motion. We'll spare hostages if I obtain stone successfully. And then he switches to English, I, don't, I guess just for gravitas, but he says, and mark this also, mark it well. I cannot be truly slain by any means known to me, and losing stone will not stop me from returning, nor spare you or yours my wrath. Wait, and he said, because the, the phrasing of that sounds very snaky. That was in Inhuman? No, he's, he, all he says back in Human was, mark this also and mark it well. And then he goes oh, back. Oh, and then he goes back. Oh, okay. I just like yeah, I guess how because you, you can't yeah. you can't be eloquent in snake. <laughs> yeah, he can't pass up an opportunity to sound you know mm-hmm. uh, conniving and and this well exactly. Um, I wonder if it's the same in a parcel tongue of like the difficulty of your brain of switching between languages all of a sudden. Given what does we, it, I remember, does he get? Canon books, do they speak parcel English? I think I remember Harry in canon and in this one speaking parcel tongue on accident. So I'm assuming that, uh, it, you know, it's not a hard effort to switch back and forth. Anyway, with any language, it's just weird to like switch back. I mean, your, your brain has to like swap out. Yeah. This is magic, man. Magic, yeah, magic brain. Magic brain. Cause it's, it's not just another language. It's, it's magic language. How come? Magic, I guess? I don't know. Uh, using magic to explain logical inconsistencies is tight. Yeah, so, let's see. Um, oh, this was fun. He asks him, like, what the, what the stone does. And I think, I know that you, you guessed before that, like, there's no way it just produces the elixir of life and makes infinite gold. But I don't think you guessed what, how it actu- what it actually does. No, and even at this point, as, as it explained, it seems pretty arbitrary. Well, it sounds crazy powerful given that we've put a hard limit on transfiguration. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. So like if like that's the reason that again, there are old people, people who need to wear glasses, whatever, um uh, because they can't just transfigure their bodies. Well, if you can transfigure your body, then suddenly you can make yourself 30 every 2 years and you'll just be 30 forever, right? Yeah, and I guess and transfiguration has been given such like you can basically do whatever the fuck you want. But like that fits plot wise because oh it's only temporary you have to be paying attention to it constantly so exactly oh you can basically do whatever the fuck you want and then just toss in a resurrection stone and it's permanent right so you throw Especially it because the- like, Harry's making like Bucky balls and shit right uh, Bucky tubes yeah. um, so what are Bucky balls that also sounds like a thing really the same it's the same thing oh like, yeah Bucky balls make up the tubes same guy yeah it's yeah, like yeah, yeah. same idea of however that molecular construction blah 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 is i remember reading about that in one of those pop science books um yeah so it, it is cool. like how we're gonna make space elevators right apparently yeah so we've established hard hard limits on transfiguration because it's insanely powerful but given that it's got a you know few hour lifespan then suddenly it becomes you know then way less took away that few hour lifespan suddenly it's just insanely powerful and that makes us that makes the philosopher's stone this insanely overpowered trinket so um but I've been catching up on my on my nerd uh, terminology. Is that what OP stands for? Overpowered. Yes, unless you're on Reddit, in which case it stands for original poster. Original poster, but yes, then that was my original understanding of it. But, yeah. So yeah, but I do like how Harry wants to qualify because he says if it was something like you know gaining gaining total power over the over the universe, then nothing was worth an incrementally greater chance of Lord Voldemort getting the stone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so let's see. Uh, oh, here's the yeah, and then based on that, they, they go like, 
and Quirrell's like, oh, well, that's so I obviously figured out that the reason why Hermione's body's gone is that you transfigured her into a thing. Um, and so Quirrell's like, oh, it must be the stone on your ring, but oh, wait, no, probably just the ring itself. And that's like the little bit of uh, the, the tiny victory Harry gets to file away is, oh, no, it's, and we don't get, we don't get to know either, but like, okay, no. Hermione is neither the stone on my ring nor the ring itself, but I wanted everybody to think it is the ring and uh, that fooled Quirrell too. So that's good. So that's going to pay off later. Yeah. I I, I kind of like, I I would wonder what sort of payoff he's hoping to get. Maybe he's just happy to be able to lie to him at all. Cause like, what's he going to do? Throw her like the top half of Hermione's corpse at him. (laughs) (laughs) I guess, I guess maybe he thinks like, okay, at least that's protected. Like, okay. He doesn't know where it is. It sounds like Quirrell did at least accurately figure out that like, and it, it does seem like we are now also informed that, um, Harry has Hermione's body and it's somewhere on his person because he transfigured it and it has to be near him constantly. So yeah, it's not the ring he's wearing, but Hermione's body is a thing he's holding onto right now, which as we're saying this, I hope it's not in the pouch. He just had to sort of like hand over. Yeah. I hope not. You know where I would put it. Although he did get, he did get Quirrell's parcel tongue confirmed oath that he would bring Hermione back as long as Harry helped him. So Kind of super nice of Voldemort, right? I guess so. Yeah, and that's the part, and I think I put this in the notes, like that's kind of the, for me, the big question mark. Uh, we don't we don't know why, so it's apparently super uh, important to Quirrell that like he needs Harry's help for this. So he can't do it without Harry, but we don't know why. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, just like that seems like a over-the-top, generous thing you could just say i won't kill all your friends but he says on top of that i will try my hardest to resurrect your girl child friend to true and lasting life um yeah and and so i'm wondering now so a lot of this is sort of like you know fill in the blanks based on everything we read from the original um so like so down here at the end of this is the mirror of erised but how much i've i've lost track of what have we been revealed in this story versus what are we just assuming from the original of the stone? So in the original, it's the stone is magically sort of inside the mirror and you need to kind of mind fuck your way into getting it. Um, have we, do we know how much are we just relying on? Oh, you knew this from the original versus how much have we been told about what's down there and where it is? I can't even remember exactly. Have we been, is the mirror of Eriset a thing we've been told about that's down there? We, um, are basically told everything we need to know in this story. So like all we know is that at the end of the hallway of challenges, there's uh, some mirror that according to Harry, what he'd heard on the, through the grapevine shows your reflection in a situation you find highly appealing, which sounds like the mirror of Eris said. Yeah. And that, so that's all we know. Um, the, the challenges I think are all the same except for the last one, the potion was like that logic puzzle that Hermione solves or something. There was a, yeah. Um, because there, I do remember there being a potion in the original. There was something about a potion. But it was, the, there was like one you could drink that would let you walk through the fire. Or something. Uh, that's right. Yeah. It wasn't that they had to make one, was it? I can't even remember now. But No, they were sitting, it was like there were five on a table and there was a logic puzzle on how to get it. Like which one was the right one to drink. But it was, you know, a logic puzzle any not dumb 11 year old could solve. So. Which is to say, Stephen at eleven would have been fucked, but Hermione would, did fine. So, um, oh, I was going to say, if I had Hermione's body transfigured, like, and Quirrell does this, which I like a lot with his teeth. Um, 
like, you know, those dermal uh, piercings you can get. Oh, the like little sub, you know, the little like pearls under your skin. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds a great place to store all kinds of useful shit, right? I guess so. Yeah. And since we've already decided that whatever you transfigure doesn't have to be the same size of what it used to be, like you could file away all kinds of useful shit if you wanted to make it super, super, super small. You could you could file away bricks of C4 or whatever. Like, I mean, yeah. there's no reason not to be just, you know, loaded to the teeth, literally like, to the you teeth. Know, you could turn a, <laughs> a you could turn a Sherman tank into like the little tiny bit of plaque on one tooth. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And then and then, you know, you got a Sherman tank. Exactly. Like like an ant man, how he kept it on his keychain. Yes. All right. So here he is. He's just thinking, okay, well, if I help you, I want your pro it's like he has to think of like the best promise he can give that won't piss off Voldemort or that he can get. Uh, he, he wants like, what's the biggest thing I can bargain for that won't piss him off, but it's still getting the most I can. So I like his caveat. He says, all right, I want your promise. They aren't going to turn on me when this is over. I want you to not kill professor Snape or anyone else in Hogwarts. And here's the fun caveat. Cause he knew that he'd never buy that. He says for at least a week, <laughs> for at least a week. I know. Yeah. I like that. Which I mean, I guess when you think about it, that's not that dumb of a promise to try and get out of him. Cause like, if if things work out where Voldemort walks away from this and has a week to do whatever he wants, like they're kind of fucked anyway, right? Harry's kind of counting on winning in the next week, or at least stopping this. Um, yeah, it was, and there's this weird thing about the so this whole parcel tongue like plot device. It doesn't. It's it a little bit is trying to act like the unbreakable vow thing, but it's not. It's just so it's because it's it's not that like oh if you make a promise you have to keep the promise. It's more that. Because they keep saying, like, I intend to. So it's it's more like, oh, I am truthfully telling you that my intent right now is to blah, blah, blah. Uh, because it's it's not it's not like there's some sort of, like, hard commitment for them to act a certain way because they promised it. It's more just sort of like a truthful statement of their intent at the moment they say it. Right. And that's how Harry can honestly say throughout this expedition, he asks him over and over, like, have you betrayed me yet? Yeah. And he says, I haven't betrayed you yet. Oh, Which is to say, I have not, not yet. yet enacted. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not yet. It just like, you, it's just answer. It's basically, you have to answer this truthfully, but not you're committed to whatever you say here. Yeah. Uh, but, but, but when he does say, I, I intend, I shall try to resurrect a girl child friend. Apparently that means that like, currently I am planning on that if you don't fuck with things. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Um, the other thing I like the sort of like the recurring thing going on in Harry's head throughout all of this is him sort of aware of being outgunned by the mind of Quirrell and like, oh, I don't have enough time to figure out what I need to do. This kind of reminds me of what we were talking about with the last episode with like, um, I just have to kind of go with the best I could come up with in this moment. Um, and I'm not super happy about it, but it was the best I could come up with. So he's kind of like constantly under the gun in terms of like pressure on figuring out what he's going to do next. And literally. Yeah. Yeah. Literally yeah. under the gun. He keeps reflecting on that. Like when he says he promises his inner bot, his inner minds were like, what? And he's like, um, he's still pointing a gun at us. <laughs> and then because Harry didn't get JJ Bittenbinder's course on safety, he follows Quirrell to a second location. <laughs> Harry, Harry doesn't have street smarts. Right, no street smarts. Street smarts. I was just uh, rewatching. I just, I just watched uh, New in Town again last night. Nice. Did you watch uh, um, Kid? What was it? Kid Wind. I've seen them all. Yeah, Kid, Kid, Kid Gorgeous. That's the one. Yeah, the third one. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen them all. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, New in Town's classic. 
anyone who somehow missed the memo, we're talking about John Mulaney's stand-up. His special on Netflix is called New in Town, and he's hilarious. I am homeless, <laughs> gay, I have AIDS, and I'm new in town. <laughs> All right. So anyway, yeah, so he, he walks out, and I do like how you know he's reflecting on like, well, you know, mom and dad would probably say to follow him because he'll shoot us. Um <laughs> And uh, then he has Harry go through the door and uh, yeah, they finally get all, and we get to see some more kind of like, it's, it's even, a, it's a lot more in the, in these couple chapters, like, okay, now that we sort of like ripped the mask off and he's totally Voldemort, uh, we get to see some very unhinged levels of, you know, displays of power. So it's like, okay, we're going to get out of here. I'm going to grab all the important shit. And he grabs like the invisibility cloak and the pouch and blah, blah, blah. But he says, and then I'll just sort of matter of factly mind wipe everybody in the room right now. Oh, how about the part where uh, was that in the last chapter or this or 106? Because we just switched. Let me find out where. Um, oh yeah, he wakes up Snape, and then like he moves yeah. his fingers like puppet strings. Yeah, and or, then a, a very cool bit of Latin, whatever about yeah, basically the puppet like oh your nerves are yeah something something about nerves remotely being manipulated. Blah, blah, blah. But yeah, he turns Snape into his little like demon puppet mind control thing. Um, so yeah, no, so we get to see, I think it's at the end of 105, we know that he did it. And then the very first part of 106 is we, we get to see the very creepy, like Snape speaking and, you know, basically controlled voice. You know, I get the, I get the impression that he's like a, like an autonomous, uh, robot. Like there's no way, I mean, there's a way, I guess, but I I figure Quirrell's not going to dedicate part of his attention to, you know, puppeting Snape. I I imagine he wound him up like a, it could be different than an Imperius though. Like, like less 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 autonomous than than other time it was like okay now you just you know your will is subjected to mine it, it did feel a lot more especially because they brought up the whole kind of puppet imagery that like like that wasn't even the mind of snape saying those words and that's part of what made it creepy yeah it's just like it's snape it sounding cool. stuff but like there i think it's like I just imagine like wound up, like I said, like, like some sort of automaton yeah. where it's just like, okay, stand here and pretend like you're Snape. And it's, it's all so, the words that an AI would write for a Snape. Right. Exactly. He's just GPT two Snape. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm standing. Did you see that report about like the uh, GPT three bot got caught having posted to Reddit for like a week? No, but I'm not surprised. Oh, you go to, yeah, actually, and I think the the poster's still up there. You can go and read it. But uh, it's weird. so a lot of them do look just very strange. Like okay, you, where you probably could figure out it wasn't a person, but some of them are like creepily convincing. We we did an episode on the Beijing conspiracy a month or two ago on GPT three, and uh, one of the people we had on actually has access to like the actual GPT three API and got to play around with it on the air with us. And uh, it was it was a lot of fun. If anyone's interested, check that out. You could probably but, Google it. You should go and uh, the art the article I ran into had that uh, like a link to the actual account, so you could go through. And the thing, because it was a piece of software, it was posting like once a minute, but it was so it was posting like faster than any human could like actually create thoughts. Um, but so lots and lots and lots of posts. But they were that like. 80% of the time, totally convincing. Like you'd have to think about it to be like, oh, I wonder if that's true. Most of the time, completely, you know, like on. And then something, and then every once in a while, there would be something that was very creepily, you know, perfect. I think there was, I think the thing that was like cited in the article I read was it was some response to something about, you know, people that had been suicidal. So it's this AI talking about having been suicidal and it was, it was disturbingly convincing. 
It was weird. And one of the things we linked to in the episode we did was uh, like, I think the prompt is something along the lines of like, all right, you're arguing with a philosopher who wants to argue that you're not conscious and try and convince him you're conscious. And it's like, basically the longer these go, the the more they kind of break down, but this one doesn't really do that. It actually ends on a pretty depressing and intense note. Um, I, like if it was conscious, I'd expect it to sound like this. It was, it was uh, rather, rather intense. So like I said, check that out. Um, but we're not checking out GPT-3. We're watching Snape be horrifyingly kind of like, you know, I don't know what's going on in Snape's head. Get, and anything. it's actually, it's, so it's different, but it's the same vibe of what we're about to see with the, uh, with the Cerberus that we see. It was like, cause it does feel like he's a little bit undead. <clears throat> like, oh, you sound like Snape, but you're totally not Snape. So. Yeah. It's, it's a little, it's, it's more than a little unsettling. Um, so yeah, then he's asked, uh, Harry like, all right, well, how would you deal with this, you know, giant three headed dog? And he's like, well, if it's like the legends, we, you know, we, we have to sing it to sleep. And then Quirrell just abotica dabbers it. It's like, shut and- the fuck up. Yeah. I, I think what I put in our notes was that scene. It reminded me of the the scene from Indiana Jones with, where there's the dude like getting all fancy and swirling his sword around. And like, oh, I'm about to totally kill you with this sword. And then Indiana Jones just pulls out his gun and fucking shoots him. Yeah. He's like, quit fucking around. Like, dumb. And apparently the lore for that scene was that it was just that uh, Harrison Ford was sick that day. Yeah, he had couldn't fuck around in a sword fight, so he just shot the guy because that was an easier way to end that scene. What's fun is watch that scene and then watch the guy like at the butcher shop behind him just lazily hitting meat with a uh, cleaver. He's not even cutting <laughs> it. <laughs> He's just staring right at the camera, just like just kind of hitting the table, not even not even pretending to be a good butcher. Um, I do like Harry's reaction. He's like, I sort of assumed that going through this challenge in any way except the ones used by first years might perhaps trigger an alarm. And Quirrell says, now nah, you're just being an idiot and didn't listen to your uh, lessons. But I think Harry's reasoning is somewhat sound. Like, Well, the Quirrell's response is like kind of valid. He's like, I've been fucking with the alarms like all day, all night, this whole year. So right. like, don't worry about it, dude. And so like a recurring theme in these couple of chapters is why do you keep fucking around? Why, why are you playing their game? Let's just, let's get on with it. Yeah, he's yeah, so he's doing right a lot of killed the Cerberus. Like Harry that is then they go into the room, the Cerberus is dead, and Harry's still like looking around for clues, basically. He's like trying to find which brick in the wall is glowing. <laughs> um and and Quirrell's like, Are you fucking like quit fucking around? Like Quirrell's so kind of displeased with it, he makes Harry uh repeat in parcel tongue that he's not fucking with him. He's like, Yeah, this is like quit playing their game. Uh, looking looking for the magical clue to how how to solve the puzzle is sort of like condoning the idea that there's a puzzle. Yeah, he says the false puzzle, the outer form of this challenge, is a game meant for first years. We simply go down the trap door. Yeah, and that's where he points out. He's like, you know, uh, if someone looks in and sees that dead giant dog, they're going to notice something is weird. And he's like, well, they're <laughs> oh, I like this. He says, Professor Quirrell, said, Harry said, omitting the phrase, your approach to dealing with obstacles has certain drawbacks. <laughs> uh, he says, what if somebody looks in and sees that the Cerberus is dead? Well, then they probably notice something is wrong with Snape, but since you insist, and then he does the inferious spell on him. And uh, then that's when Harry realizes that I'm pretty sure he didn't say inferious in the woods. I don't think we'd have heard that, but no, yeah, we would have heard that. But no, he, I think it's because he said like the way the Cerberus looked was the same look on the face of frenzy. Um. He's like, oh, yeah. So that was sort of Harry's realization. Like, oh, shit, that whole line about, oh, I I cast a green, you know, hex 
So it would look like Avada Kedavra was bullshit. And then it's like, no, he totally was Avada Kedavra and he killed him. Yeah, pretty fucked up. Yeah. And then Harry has the realization that, you know, he didn't get through his quest without the, you know, the, or without, with, he failed the code of Batman. So he's mm-hmm. like, all right, well, that sucks. Uh, you know, I think he realized that too when Hermione died too. But yeah. um, apparently, then it says, uh, uh, most people want their whole lives that, without anyone getting killed in one of her adventures they had. And that was not to be. He hadn't even learned the centaur's name. And it's just a kind of sad beat because, you know, we sent, we know centaurs are people. It's not like just a magical horse. So somebody got murdered for no fucking reason just because he crossed Quirrell's path in the woods, you know? Yeah. Anyway. Um, so then they go down the trapdoor, which felt very Zork to me. <laughs> um, go through the trapdoor. Go through the trapdoor. And yeah, it's some like magical planty plant thing spirally staircase thing made out of plant. Um, and Harry's again, like it's, so this is like this kind of this recurring theme where Harry's still sort of like, Oh, I'm trying to solve the quest. And Quirrell's just like, quit fucking around. Like this quest is only here as a, you know, bullshit affectation on the part of Dumbledore. Um, so he's like, Oh, I should be going down on my broom because that's the way this puzzle is laid out. And Quirrell's just like, shut the fuck and go down the stairs. So Harry walks down the plant stairs um, and then gets at when he does get to the bottom, the plant that is the stairs does ensnare him, I think, which, and I think this is pretty much the way it was in the original. Yep. Um, and then it's kind of a more of the, like, and actually, yeah, this is what I thought. It seemed like Quirrell had been a little bit in that mode um, up to this point, but like, this is the part where it felt to me like Quirrell sort of reverts back to his kind of like, oh, I am your teacher and I'm going to very condescendingly tell you all the things that are obvious. Um, and so, cause as Harry gets to the bottom of the stairs, the, the plant that is the stairs ensnares him and, and, and Quirrell's like, oh, you have no problem pretending to be defeated by the plant right now. I love that. But this so like, the, the line was, he says, interesting, as he floated down, because, like, he can fucking fly. He says, interesting. I noticed you seem to have no trouble losing to a plant. <laughs> <laughs> Makes me um, chuckle. Didn't mean to cut you off, but that's too funny of a line. Yeah, so but, yeah, so he comes down there, and it, and it just seemed weird. It was kind of gives off the vibe of, like, just Quirrell kind of sadistically enjoying fucking with Harry. But so Harry's, you know, trapped in, in the vines at the, at the bottom of the little spirally staircase thing. And then in kind of reverting back to kind of teacher mode, he's like, so how would you get yourself out of this trap now that you have pretended to lose? Um, and he was like, well, I think I remember that this kind of plant is sensitive to light or flame. So I'd probably blah, blah, blah. And then Quirrell's like, oh yeah, that's cute. And then he just casts some sort of acidy something, something spell um, to just fight like in a very blunt, not, not subtle at all attack on the plant. Like, okay, I'm just going to fuck with the plant. The plant's going to thrash at itself because I'm killing it. That will make it let go of you. And then it's dead. And then the cool line, I think I pulled it from the, he's like, so Harry first says like, oh yeah, they're afraid of light and heat. And so Quirrell casts a spell to like, just throw a bunch of acid on the fucking thing. And it's like, ah, acid. And it like, let's go of Harry to try to bat at the acid on it. And he's like, okay, yeah, now it's afraid of light, heat, acid, and me. Oh, which is a cool line. Um, yeah. But yeah, sort of like the, the next, 
step and quarrel being like like quit playing their game there's you know this whole this whole and I, like this did seem to be like a like explicit call out to the original books like because this whole thing going through the chamber of secrets was like oh, okay there's these cute little series of puzzles you have to get through and we're gonna have this fancy scene with ron riding around on you know chess pieces and of course like okay no this is stupid like these are all just dumb little story elements um, that are entertaining to solve, but don't ultimately mean anything. So let's stop playing their game. He's um, like, okay, this is dumb. Okay, right. we're done with that one. Moving on. Yeah, and you said Chamber of Secrets, and it came at Third Floor Corridor. There's so many secret corridors in Hogwarts. Isn't that, but isn't that where this comes from? In the no, this was this, the, this like was the, the first book. Uh, so this is not oh, it's Chamber of Secrets. Yeah, I get it all. Chamber of Secrets is in the girls' bathroom for no reason. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, I guess yeah. The thing. So where were in the original with the whole scene with you know, quarrel in a turban, yada, yada. Where were they at that point? That wasn't the chamber of secrets. They were just what down in the dungeons. They were in the third floor corridor end of the hallway. Uh, yeah. Right. Less cool than the chamber of secrets. Yeah. Um, so yeah. the other things like just about how quarrels kind of just going all out, like with not quite necessarily, well, not in this scene with the plant necessarily all out with his power, just all out with being an asshole. Like the plant like beats at the, growing wounds as if it was like trying to remove a pain stimulus. Something about the plant gave the impression that it was screaming soundlessly. So like he doesn't just like whatever, you know, cast a bright light at the plant to make it back off. He fucking hurts it. You know? Yeah. It's like Quirrell has not let go of the need to pretend to be a normal person. Right. Um, So he's like allowed to like give in all his sadism. And this was the, uh, the bit where Harry says, look, I can't stop you, but like I thought we were on a mission. Is is it smart to be spending this time much time messing with me? And this is where Quirrell points out, he's like, Yeah, you're acting you the way you acted was like nothing happened at the Quidditch game. So that tells me that we've probably got plenty of time yeah. before anything serious happens. And uh yeah and, yeah, and he makes a couple of comments about like, oh no, we got plenty of time. We're good. Yeah. No rush. So then they go down through the next one, and this is the one with the uh the key that's flying around the other keys. Yeah, yeah, that's like one of the sort of more memorable scenes from the original. And again, where he's just like, okay, this is fucking dumb. Uh, But like, so this is where we see like Harry sort of sort of catching on to the new way that all this shit works is because Harry sort of like analyzing is like, okay, there's a key and there's a broom over there. So I'm probably supposed to fly around and catch the one. And only one of these looks like a snitch, but it's not quite as, you know, flying quite as fast as a snitch. So I'm supposed to catch it and then I'll use it to open the door over there. But he's like, okay, and I think he kind of says that to Quirrell. He's like, so that's kind of the puzzle that's put in front of us, but why don't we skip ahead to the part where you use some, you know, completely ridiculous Voldemort levels of power and just kind of, you know, be done with the thing. <laughs> um, and Quirrell's like, all right, now we're on the same page. I like, uh, there, there's a couple things about that. One where uh, Harry kind of asks, like, all right, what the hell was Dumbledore thinking when he set all this up? Like, why make this a game? And he says, I'm not really sure Quirrell says that. Um, he says that Dumbledore's way of doing things is to do a dozen things which seem mad and then only eight of them or perhaps nine conceal an inner meaning. And so like Dumbledore's apparent strategy for, you know, combating Voldemort, you know, during the war was just to throw a ton of shit at the wall and have, you know, some number of it just be complete noise. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, then I like just how, how meta everyone has to get. He says, I think that is what Dumbledore is trying to avoid by making it seem as though this strategy is invited, the strategy of just bursting through and, you know, crashing through stuff. Um, and so not cunning of, unless of course, unless of course I have misunderstood what Dumbledore thinks Lord Voldemort will think. Um, 
Then I like this line too. It's memorable for Dumbledore. He says, plotting does not come naturally to Dumbledore, but he tries He tries because he must. To that task, Dumbledore brings intelligence, dedication, the ability to learn from his mistakes, and an utter lack of native talent. <laughs> it's marvelously hard to predict for that reason alone. And so- I think that was a good line. Yeah. A good line. Then he asks him, all right, well, you know, if I'm uh, not going to use the first year solution and I would ignore the broomstick and use Ungardium Leviosa to grab the key since this isn't a Quidditch game and there are no rules forbidding that. So what absurdly overpowered spell are you going to unleash <laughs> this one then? And then there's a brief silence. And he does. Right. He's like, oh, I probably shouldn't have said that, should I? Oh, no. I think that is a quite reasonable thing to say the most powerful dark wizard in the world when he's standing not a dozen paces from you. <laughs> And he whips out, uh, first of all, he whips super, out his wand. Like this impressive description. Fake yeah, tooth. Yeah, yeah, this is where we get to see it. Like the fake tooth comes out, he pulls out the bolder wand. Um, and then a, a really impressive description of like the most fucking evil phoenix ever. Yeah. Um, I really, I sort of like the description of like this sort of deep, dark blood red that's way brighter than a deep, dark blood red ought to be. Um. And then, yeah, like the super evil Phoenix, it's sort of like the the Spock with a beard version of Fox. I don't think that it says, maybe it doesn't. It's, a, it's some kind of Phoenix, isn't it? Yeah, no, it is a Phoenix. I, you know, it's not really a spoiler because we've seen, uh, not exactly this, so I'm going to just say it. I think this Phoenix is made out of fiend fire. The I think stuff he says that, that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he does say that. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah I just couldn't find. Fiendfire is mentioned. I don't. Uh, he says like, "Oh, the solution to this is Fiendfire," and then he throws the Phoenix out. That's right. Yeah, perfect. So yeah, he, so rather than get the key or do whatever, he just blows a hole in the wall, or rather melts it. Yeah, and- melts the wall. Not, not only melts the wall, he's like, "Okay, fuck this key stuff," and he like just blows through that wall. But at the same time that he's blowing through that wall, he also blows through the puzzle in the next room because that's boring. They even chips in. Let me just nuke all those giant chess pieces later because stupid. Right. Wait, hold on. Did we do the chess room? Oh, yeah. I yeah, think the so. chess room is just yeah. like the, the phoenix at the same time while blowing through the wall goes ahead and nukes the chess room too. That's right. And then it stops at the next door. Yeah. It stops at the next door so that – uh um it's the troll after that. Right. The uh, So this one was different. This one wasn't in the first book. I forget what must have been in this room. Um but this one has a Bogart in it in this yeah. version. So yeah, there wasn't a Bogart. I want there was. I want to say there was some. I guess I get confused with the Chamber of Secrets because I'm jumping to like the Basilisk. And the Bogart definitely wasn't introduced until Book Three. Um, so in any case, they this one has a Bogart in it, and they're rather it, it gives a kind of cool little thing about it that like you know just like canon, it turns into something that will scare you because it wants you to go away. And he's like, what, scare me away? I killed the troll. And he's like, you leapt backwards out of the room without thinking. The Bogart seeks out the instinctive flinch, not the reasoned threat. Also, it was like to something more believable. In any case, the standard counter charm for a Bogart is, of course, fiend fire. Fiend fire. Because <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was sort of like, because they went to all the trouble in the first one of like, oh, and then you have to try to turn it into something that you find funny and then you won't be afraid. And Crow's like, yeah, no, fuck that. You just nuke the thing. Yeah, and then you hear from within the room. There's a single squeak, and then nothing. And he's just he's just murdering his way through this whole thing. So then we get to um, oh, this is the, the potion room, room, the potion room. Yeah, and this yeah. is where sort of and we in a very sort of quarrelly kind of way, like oh, I will nuke my way through things when 
you know, it is beneath me to play the game, but like, oh, this one might actually be a thing. So I won't nuke my way through this one. Um, and so, and yeah, and they go back and forth with each other quite a bit about like, okay, what does, you know, why did Dumbledore set all this stuff up? But this one is clearly because it's all potiony, um, was set up by Snape and Snape's not quite as gullible as Dumbledore in all ways. But so what would Snape think? I would, you know, what would Snape think? What would Snape think? I would think, what would Snape think? I would think he would think about what I would think. It's all and, very, uh, what's that guy? Princess Bride. Princess Bride yeah. I'd like to think that, wouldn't you? Um, Inconceivable. Yes. Uh, but what I like about it is that the, these, you know, I think like you mentioned, it's eight, eight dimensional chess, but these are, uh, you know, multi-dimensional chess players. And so they decide that the the safe route is just to make the fucking potion. Well, yeah, and I, I like like the point that Quirrell came to though was like they know they don't know I'm Voldemort, and they only know of a Voldemort, and they know of a Voldemort that was a piece of fiction that I laid out for them. So the Voldemort they know is somebody who's you know hard to control who can't control their impulses well and is impatient and easily, you know, goaded into rash acts. And so they set this up thinking like, Oh, this is going to require more patience than Voldemort is capable of. And so he's just going to try to nuke his way through and then that will be his weak spot. Um, but they don't know that I am Quirrell and perfectly capable of sitting around and solving some boring ass, um, you know, potion spell. Um, so they eventually arrive at those like, okay, yeah, fuck it. Let's just sit around. Like, you know, we got time. Let's make a potion. Sure. Help me chop this shit up. Right. This is also where he points out that he says that Quirrell or Snape does not know me. He only knows Lord Voldemort. Implying, yeah. not implying, just telling us that Voldemort isn't like his deep, true inner self. It's just another person he sometimes is. Right. Yeah. We, and, yeah it, and he it, sort of like established that. Uh, in the chapter before where, yeah, he sort of like, like, um, what did he say? He's like, Oh, you destroyed Voldemort, but that's never going to happen again. Basically saying like, there is no more Voldemort. Voldemort was just this fiction I was inventing. Um, and there's no more Harry Potter either. And I think that sort of like kind of slid by without kind of like dwelling on it very much. He's like, yeah, I destroyed the last remnants of Harry Potter. Cause he's saying like, no, you're Tom Riddle. I'm Tom Riddle. There's no Voldemort. Voldemort was never true. And Harry Potter quit existing 11 years ago. It's just you and me and let's get the shit done. Um, yeah. So yeah. 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 It's all a bummer. Um, what was I going to say about, Oh yeah. So he says, uh, um, he's sometimes seen Lord Vol- Lord Voldemort shriek in frustration and act on impulses that appear counterproductive. And then he's like, uh, before he, I like this too. He says before, uh, he asks him what Snape thinks. Um, he says, you saw me flying in the air earlier, did you not? And Harry says, uh, uh, he nods, then he notices that he's confused. And he says, my charms textbook says that's impossible for wizards to levitate themselves. Yes, that's what it says in your charms textbook. No wizard could levitate themselves. And he goes off on this whole thing of kind of like Socratically reasoning him into uh, mm-hmm. quickly realizing how he can fly. And I like And they did land on it like, oh, he's got broomstick bones. Like that's that way. That is the answer at the end of it. Yep, which is hilarious. <laughs> He's like, you had somebody cast broomstick enchantments on your bones? <laughs> and then Coral just sighs and he says, that was one of Voldemort's most feared feats, or so I'm told. And like, you just get kind of this air of like, what's wrong with 
people vibe. You know, he's, he's been shouting this his whole, you know, all the time, but it, it's coming out more and more here where he just says, uh, you know, after all these years and some amount of reluctant legitimacy, I still do not truly like comprehend what is wrong with ordinary people, but you are not <laughs> one of them. It is time for us, for you to start contributing to this expedition. And this is where he asks him about, you know, to give his own honest analysis of the room and all that stuff. Um, and yeah, they basically settle on, oh, there was another fun thing too that I liked where he says, uh, okay, look, if you blow through this room, because the other thing is this room wasn't warded like the others. So apparently the wards aren't uh, like set off to go off if someone blows through the wall with fiend fire, but they're set to detect other things or whatever. Uh, but this room is not obviously warded. So he's like, okay, the lack of alarms on this safe is making me nervous. What do you think about this? Okay. And uh and that's kind of why he decides not to just like blow through the room. Exactly. But I also like how Harry thought about like, well, maybe, uh, you know, if uh, an adult tries to blow through this room or something, then a Dementor will jump out and give you the Dementor's kiss. Like, yeah. and so then that it says Professor Quirrell was still, he says Dumbledore would not think of that method, but Severus might. And then he basically just bullies him into saying, you, you know, use your powers over Dementors to protect me if one shows up. Um, that makes him swear to it in personal tongue. Right. He says, uh, life eaters cannot destroy me, I think. I will simply abandon this body if they approach too close. Shall return swiftly this time, and then there'll be no stopping me. We'll torture your parents for years to punish you for balking me. Hundreds of hostage students die, including those you call friends. Now I ask again, will you use your power over life eaters to protect me if life eaters come? He says, yes. And he's, but it's just, all of this has this depressed tone yeah um obviously but still and uh yeah oh so this is the um the exciting bit so as he bends over to start making the potion the phoenix apparently just drifts off to wait in the corner uh and he says um all matters considered in their uncertainty it seems wiser to expend the time to pass this room as a first year would we may as well talk while we're waiting you had questions boy i said i would answer them at or so ask um this was uh, so then. I don't know if your version you're reading like the on the website or the like. EPUB. Uh, now I'm reading the EPUB. Well, uh, yeah, I'm, it's been on my phone. I think it's the EPUB. It's what's been on my phone. The whole okay, time. so it probably doesn't include the author's note here at the end. Um, uh, no, I see author's notes, or or I see the I see the author's notes saying there will be no author's notes. Okay, at the end of this one, did you see the, where it says um, the chap, chapter one hundred eight long will be posted in a couple of days. Uh, yeah, I saw that. yeah. For those of you who have outstanding disputes regarding the defense professor's secrets, should bet up now or forever hold your peace. Yes, I saw that. Yeah. So all I'll say is that I lost twenty five dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm not sure what's still the what's still unknown at this point. I lost a bet about the defense professor about uh, yeah. I guess the defense professor's identity. I was still clinging to the not Voldemort thing somehow. Um, but, but now, but now we know he's Voldemort. So because they're saying like, oh, like it's anything you might not know is going to be settled in the next chapter. Like what's right. left to, what's left to not know. Um, that's a good question. I mean, like, you know, I could see that like a couple chapters ago, but, but now well, it's like cats out of the bag. You were still thinking about like maybe the Marauders map or, um, oh, yeah, there's that stuff, you know, like, well, yeah, and I'm still wondering. So like the rent, I don't, I don't put a lot of, not enough to, plant a flag on a, on a bet about this, but I'm still wondering like the idea of Quirrell as, because he's so 
such an unhinged sociopath, like completely lacking in empathy that it was like, I, and I just coming back to like, okay, this is written by a guy that does, you know, research in AI, like is Quirrell some kind of like, like literally not human. Um, like he's a, you know, a, a misprogrammed AI that, you know, is missing the whole, you know, you should be nice to the rest of humanity part of the program. <laughs> um, so something like that, it doesn't quite work, but it's, so that's the part I'm still wondering. So we, yeah, we don't, when, when we say like, okay, they're both Tom Riddle, we still don't know what the fuck that means. So, so yeah, I don't know. Yeah. There's a handful. I mean, I'm trying to think of just some other random stuff, but yeah, as far as like the defense professor acting like an AI with, you know, a poorly calibrated ethic, it's, it's kind of that, I think, you know, it's just as explainable by, you know, like the author, his day job involves a lot of time thinking about like theoretical mind design space, like all of the possible ways a mind could be oriented. And then it just, I think becomes kind of part of the job to think about how people work. And, you know, Quirrell is uh, an atypical, in my, in my opinion, thus far of the story, et cetera, uh, just strikes me as someone who is on the, uh, you know, edge of a human mind, right? He's just a damaged person. Yeah. Um, you know, luckily not every, you know, like people throw around like, oh, you know, the people that whatever don't vote the way I like or whatever, um, they're all just soulless, evil monsters. And it's like, no, luckily those kinds of humans are really rare. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, you know, there's no doubt a handful. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think someone, some there's some estimate out there somewhere that like, there's like 3 million psychopaths in the United States, which would mean a little under 1%. Um, mm-hmm. but it, then like how many of those are just going to keep their head down and just get by with life? Not caring what people think. Just be CEOs. Yeah, exactly. Or politicians. Um, there's some research apparently that politicians are more likely than, than the base population to exhibit kind of those sorts of tendencies. But yeah. I don't know how much stake I put in that. If it's just somebody who hated politicians, I never looked at the actual <laughs> research on that. Um, but yeah, I think Quirrell's just you know, unfortunately, a sociopath or psychopath or whatever the diagnosis is. Um, yeah. the other, I mean, the other weird thing about him going back, like the thing I kept harping on was like, so, so yeah, he's completely soulless, but also like there's, it's totally just dropped out of the sky. And by the way, he's also the most powerful wizard on the planet, except maybe for Dumbledore, but like, there's no, uh, justification for that at all. It's just, he just sort of is super powerful and we don't know why. Yeah. Hopefully in, you know, the next chapter we'll get some backstory on, you know, Tom Riddle slash Lord Voldemort slash Professor Quirrell. Yeah. Um, I mean, that was kind of even true in the original stories. Like Tom Riddle's super scary, powerful, but we don't really know why he just kind of is like, he's just sort of like the evil Neo. Yeah. And it's easy to forget because like most of my knowledge, it's just the wizard antichrist. Like he's just bad. Right. And super powerful. Yeah. Most of my knowledge of like the canon books has been kind of overwritten from my knowledge of this book. And so like, it's easy to forget that the interdict of Merlin is not in the original story. And so like, why is Voldemort so powerful in this kind of makes sense because the interdict, you know, if he got Salazar's like Salazar Slytherin's fucking knowledge from his basilisk, then that just gives him a huge, you know, like that's, he gets cheat codes to, to cast high level spells. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Voldemort in the other book, I mean, you know, whatever he wasn't, I mean, I, 
I get it. It was a story, but that guy wasn't that scary, right? He he kept doing all this dumb shit. Um, even he was, like, I mean, like he was he was OG. Like he was the scariest thing in the book. He would, yeah. I don't. It, it's not like oh, he's not going to be as scary. He was he was the scariest thing in the book, other than Professor Umbridge. Well, yeah, yeah, in a, in a different kind of way. Yeah, I mean, almost in a. You weren't worried I'm, about I'm, Professor I'm Umbridge not being taking over the world. Though. No, but she was. She talked herself into torturing Harry when she was going to extort information out of him. She's like, "Well, you know, if uh, if I need to, certainly the ministry will say it's okay." And so she's sitting there you know, as, as an adult like the, with students in her charge, talking herself into torturing one of her students. Yeah, Umbridge always struck me as like the that rolling like accidentally created a way nastier character without meaning to. I think that <laughs> like she wasn't, and she wasn't written in to have that much significance in the plot. But you're like, oh fuck. I, I think this might have been a quote from her either after the book or about like her process, but something about how like it's fun just to like have like to eventually write a character that you just want to hit with a shovel. Um, <laughs> I can't remember if those are her words or not, but t- someone said that somewhere about Umbridge and that's man, if that's not true. Um, trying to think if there's any other, I mean, we managed to digress for 20 minutes and still only barely crack an hour, but um, <laughs> well, that's a, yeah, see, not a lot actually happened in these couple chapters. Yeah, but 108 is too long to have thrown into this one. So I guess we've got time. we got to think, like, you know, what other stuff could we learn about the defense professor? We kind of just meandered around that. What other stuff do you think might happen? You know, like, uh, will the um, – I mean – do you have any anticipation for what will happen when they get to the mirror? Yeah, Do you have any anticipation for after? So for following the so for following the original, like as soon as they get through, um, as soon as they get through this, like the mirror of Erised's on the other side of this, so then it's go time. In the original story, there was no quarrel here. It's like the it was Harry and Hermione and Ron. Like I think Ron had been knocked out playing chess. Oh yeah, no, yeah. Ron nobly sacrifices himself to, uh, playing chess so they can get through. Yeah, and then, and then yeah, I think it's maybe like, and then it's Hermione being clever or whatever that gets them through the the potions part. But so they get through and they get to the mirror, and what like Harry stares at himself in the mirror and sees his parents or blah blah blah. Um, but and then but that's the scene. And then suddenly, just sort of like quarrel, like the turban quarrel, just like shows up at that point, right? Like he wasn't there the whole time, but now it's like, aha, now you're almost there. Give me the fucking stone. Now that I remember, I think that the mirror in the first book was initially kept somewhere else. Like it was just in some random classroom, which kind of makes you wonder why he gave the warning about the third floor corridor on the first day, because Harry gets to see it. Right. Um, Yeah. Because Harry gets to like fuck around with it in there. But then, but it is like that whole scene where they're like down. Yeah. That happens later. Yeah, but, but so like, the mirror, so it, like they're, they're, yeah. the mirror is there, and they're down in the bottom of that dungeony whatever, and then yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the the first time that that he sees it, he's sitting there like, staring at it, looking at the family that he wish he had, and then Dumbledore shows up and says, you know, I think I'm going to move the mirror to a more secure location after this night. Oh, is that what it is? I get you. And so then he moves it to the, to the forbidden third floor corridor, which okay. again makes me wonder why it wasn't down there the whole time if they bothered having a secure wing. Um, Oh yeah, and I guess that that's still not explained for us here is why or was that all just bullshit speech that Quirrell was making them say, but like the other the noble students talking about like, oh, we're afraid that Dumbledore was gonna basically, you know, try to become God by, you know, using the resurrection stone to become too powerful or whatever. Like we don't have any explanation around. The resurrection uh, stone's different than the philosopher's stone. Or, yeah, whatever. This this fucking <laughs> There's too many rocks. Um, um 
Yeah, I think that uh, the current rock of concern. Right, the current rock, the philosopher's stone. Um, yeah, like we know that it's uh, like we know that the mirror is part of the story. I've, I'm getting myself jumbled now thinking about the other one. Um, you know, I what was I going to say? Um, I forgot. Well, but yeah. So I mean, we don't. We know that there's a lot going on with like. Okay, what has Dumbledore's intent been with all of this stuff all along, but we, but we don't know what that is. So. Yeah. I think I don't have much else to say on it. I guess, you know, if you have any guesses for later on in the story, we can talk about that, but you know, we don't even have to talk about something really long. I guess, you know, this can be the shortest episode. It's not a big deal. So, yeah, where, One of them has to be the shortest, right? So. Yeah. Well, that, that, and that's what I was thinking. I was really like, um, like a big shift in, the way we see Quirrell or sort of like Quirrell no longer pretending to, to not be the thing that he has seen the whole time. Um, but yeah, like a, not a lot, not a lot of plot advancement other than we're like starting to advance through this like Dungeons and Dragons scene of, you know, solving puzzles and moving further into the underground dungeons. It's um, like the opposite of Dungeons and Dragons. Cause he's just not even playing the rules. He's yeah, like, well, right. if I can just shoot my way through this, I'm going to. Um, Except this one, maybe not. So we won't for this one. But yeah, well, I, I'm confident that the le- next chapter will be, or the next episode will be longer because the next chapter is twice as long as the as these three chapters combined. So yeah, uh, so yeah, I guess like yeah, the big question mark right now is like okay, so probably Miravera is on the other side of um of that whatever blue firewall, blah blah, that they have to get over with the, with the potions, but yeah, what happens from there? And I get like the big question mark is, uh, why does Quirrell need Harry for this? That's a good question. Yeah. Like, cause that's totally been an act. And Harry doesn't know either. Harry doesn't even really have any clue as to why all that. And actually now that I think about it, it's very sort of un Harry for him to not be asking like, why the fuck do you need me to come along? Um, I think he's thinking it. And at some point he asks him, um, yeah. but he just, or no, he he just he assumes when they're before he agrees to come down that like, you know, he he must really need me to come along here. Um, yeah, but he doesn't. Uh, yeah, and the other thing, like, yeah, and the other thing about what's what's happening, like they haven't done anything that Quirrell couldn't have done this entire time. So like, what what has changed that now they're doing it? Um, and because there's nothing that has so whatever it is that when they get to the mirror of Eris, that's going to be like okay now we need Harry to do his thing, but Quirrell could have gotten this far at any point, and maybe you know just to fuck around, he's just like walked down there to check it all out before he like popped back. I get the impression he has because he knew what was behind the Bogart door. Yeah. Um, so like he he's probably come down here, I don't know, a few times. Yeah, and yeah. None of this has seemed like it. You know, none of this intimidates him at all. Um, but yeah, more importantly, like everything they've done to get this far didn't require Harry at all. It was actually, it was mostly like Quirrell rescuing Harry from having fucked it up. <laughs> so, so yeah, what's going, what's going on? Hmm. Well, hopefully we find out more what's going on in chapter 108, which is what we're covering next week. Nice segue. Yeah. I'm getting good at those. You're good at that. Just in time for the end of the show. Not my department. All right. Well, if that's it, then I don't have. Uh, oh, super! This is definitely the shortest episode ever. I know it felt like a while, but what can we say? This happened fast. We're also recording two days after the last one, which didn't really impact the energy level I brought to this one. But you know, there just wasn't that much to talk about. Um, I think we hit everything. Like we did hit, you know, like the you know 
why was I so deluded about Quarrel for so long thing, which I meant to cover last episode. Um, I don't have uh yeah, I still want that to be a thing that like the levels of delusion were somehow some kind of Voldemorty power that he had. That would be cool. I, you know, can either confirm or deny your your guesses. So, it seems um, like not so much, apparently. Like it, like well, it doesn't seem like it. And like my own current best guess is that like the no one no one would really guess that like that all they've seen of, of Voldemort is, you know, the guy who will, you know, torture his underlings and, you know, throw puppies at, at brick walls just to be an asshole. Right. Like they can't imagine, you know, so then they see professor Quirrell walk in who's obviously sinister, but doesn't seem to be at all like the, you know, the Lord Voldemort guy. And this guy's shit talking all the time. Yeah. There's that too. But yeah, there's a level of people just not being concerned with how, you know, he, he demonstrates quite often that he's, you know, in a tie for the most powerful wizard on the planet. And nobody seems to remark at all about that. I think we had a conversation about that before. And one of the, someone on discord brought up about like how, like at least to the the kid that might not, might not be clear what counts as like super, super powerful magic. Like uh, in Azkaban, Dumbledore casts the Patronus charm wordlessly. And Amelia Bones notices that's the first time she's seen that happen with, you know, ever. But like, is that a remarkable feat of strength that a child would notice? Um, or is but it yeah, even- the child, but yeah, that's the thing. But it's not just, you know, Quirrell does all of these like conspicuous displays of, of power and the other teachers at most just chalk it up like, oh, well, he's the defense professors, you know, and that's always blah, blah, blah. Which even that, that whole thing about like that winking at the camera about the like the, the plottishness of, oh, he's the defense professor is this also kind of like, oh, we're all just sort of like, you know, playing along with acting insane and thinking there's nothing wrong with this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I see what you're saying. Which totally works as far as like, you know, another like demonstration of, of his over the top power is, you know, he can get professor McGonagall to act like a crazy bitch. Be like, Oh, I guess he's just the, he's just the defense professor. Well, she's, she just really wants the kids educated, you know? See, so yeah, play that, that sort of weird gullibility as like a factor of how powerful Voldemort is that he can even just like randomly fuck with the like subtle insecurities of a, of a full blown professor. You know, it makes you think that if he really is just like a very, uh, like, you know, he knew all the buttons to press with Harry and he might've been cheating because he is Harry. Right. But if he's half as calibrated to like manipulate other people, like it almost makes it uh, more concerting that like, you know, he can play Professor McGonagall like a fiddle without using magic. Right. Yeah. He's just like, what does she, what does she uh, really desire? What does she you know, care to get out of, of her life while well, she wants to be a good educator and, and produce well-rounded and uh, competent children. Like, well, then I will just play that up. I'll make myself super competent. And then she'll be like, well, no, we can't fire the defense professor because the, the students need him. And like, that's not even involving, you know, magic. That's just, you know, uh, manipulation. Right. Yeah. There's, yeah. Then that sort of works from his sort of like, you know, personal competence thing. I li- I just, I like the more, so yeah, there's that. And, the, but I like layering onto that, the kind of almost supernatural kind of like, he's just has this low lying gaslight power of just causing otherwise competent and intelligent people to just say and think stupid shit. I like that too, a lot. 
Yeah, that like, oh yeah, you can even make a you know a McGonagall and a Snape and a Dumbledore gullible um, in a sort of non-specific way because like like that's kind of just the like the low level you know ambient power that you've got going on just you know causes them to just abandon their critical thinking. Yeah, that that I I really like the idea and like like I talked about last episode. There's a a villain like that goddess in Warg. And it is exactly as sinister and chilling as, as you're describing. And it, it is a, uh, a really badass way to do it. So anyway, um, if that's it for this one, we can wrap it up. All right. All right, everybody. Bye. Come back next week for chapter 108. Ta-ta.